Good morning, good morning. Can I ask you guys to come in, find a seat. We're going to get into our message this morning. Some of you that are wondering, if you're new here today, my name's Grant, and yes, this is a South African accent. Something most of you wouldn't know, though, growing up as a little boy in Durban on the east coast of South Africa, I was a big San Diego State Aztecs fan. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. But the Steve Fisher era, what a time to be alive. Kawhi Leonard playing. You never thought it could get better than that. But yesterday, I felt like a pride in my chest that I haven't felt since I was a young man. So what a day. What a team. What a city to live in, guys. Am I right? Okay. Andy told me that we'd get some laughs, but I couldn't believe it. Come on. Come on, the boys. Hey? Come on, the boys. They did great yesterday. I uh, saw the photo shoots going on. saw the jerseys being worn today. Come on, the team. This is the year. We're going to go all the way. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a big sports guy, but I'm excited. Our team, we're going to do it this year. Um, let me take a moment to pray, and we'll carry on with our series. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. We, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our church, <laughs> in our city. We just ask you to speak to us today, personally, intimately. We welcome you and your work. Amen sharing a lot about myself today, the Aztecs fanhood, and then also the fact that I love lists. And I know uh, we've got different personality types in the room. Some of you are not big list people, but I grew up loving a good list. And this was before the BuzzFeed era. Uh, I used to be a big skateboarder, Transworld skateboarding. Any people who used to subscribe? Adam Joe, we've got one in the room. Come on, him and I know this. But every month they would have like a featured skateboarder that they would interview. And they would, you know, talk about their life. They would talk about kind of some skateboarding highlights and moments. Clive, Clive gets it. He knows what's going on. But there would always be this thing that I loved where they would do this question, you know, the desert island question. If you were stuck on an island and you could only bring blank with you for the rest of your life, what would it be? And they would kind of mix it up every month, whether it was music or whether it was food or whether it was film or whatever it was. But like a question like if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only have five records for the rest of your life, what five would you choose? And I love that. I love wrestling with those things like, what am I going to leave out? You know, what, what's just nostalgia, sentimentality? What's going to last long term? What films do I want to watch again and again and again? What books can I reread? That kind of thing. I really love that. And then I love this kind of question. If you could have dinner with three people, living or dead, who would you choose? You know, the dinner question. And I think, like, I know some of you are processing now. Some of you, it's easy, you know. But for me, this is not because I'm a pastor. This is not because I'm preaching today. This isn't because I'm a Christian. But if I could have dinner with anyone, it would be Jesus. You know, I think for many believers, some people who are not followers of Jesus, it's true to spend an evening with him. To get to eat together and have FaceTime with him, to ask questions, to hear his voice. I just thought like to spend time watching the nuances and minutiae of the way Jesus acted. You know, just the server coming to the table and the way Jesus engaged with them. Like his attitude, his speech to them, the way he engaged with them and thought about them. Like just the, the questions you could ask and get answers to. Just getting to give Jesus a hug at the end of the night, all of that stuff would be so incredible. Like, I would leave the other two seats blank if I could be with Jesus. Like, if, if it couldn't be Jesus, I don't know who my three would be. But if I could spend an evening eating a meal with Jesus, it would be incredible. And I know for some of you, um, you've been watching The Chosen over the last while. This series, it's, if you haven't heard of it, you can watch it on Netflix. But the series about Jesus and the Gospels, where I think a lot of people have felt deeply touched just seeing the way Jesus is with other people. Just seeing these scenes that you might have read or heard preached before from the Bible, lived out, fleshed out, you know, flesh and bone of Jesus and the disciples laughing together, being together, eating together, all of those moments that are so beautiful. Our friend Brad Sarian from LA says he cries every single time he watches an episode. The one episode he's like, Ron, I, I cried the whole way through. It was just so beautiful. <laughs> There's something about just seeing Jesus and getting to know him better that is a really special thing. And if you go to John 13 to 17 in John's gospel, his biography of Jesus' life, we've got five chapters of the Bible, the biggest chunk of John's gospel, that is all one meal spent at one table with the disciples and Jesus. That's a, a long, leisurely meal spent together where Jesus is teaching and a lot goes down. Including this, Jesus starts the evening off by washing their feet. 
It's like not the way you expect a dinner party to start, but Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gets down on his hands and knees and cleans the feet of his followers. They've been wearing sandals or barefoot walking through the dirt, and Jesus humbles himself by getting down on his hands and knees to clean their feet, showing us so much about what God is like, and he is showing us a lot about what it means to follow him or to be a servant leader. Jesus demonstrates this through his life right at the start of this meal. Later, he gives them a new commandment, John 13, verse 34 to 35. Uh, He calls them to love one another the way they had been loved by him. The example he'd set, the way he'd treated them, the way he had loved. He says, go out and love in the same way. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He says one of his most famous quotes, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He talks about prayer and knowing God and about being more satisfied in God than in other things. He commissions them and sends them out with purpose and a mission. And he tells them when they have a need to pray. He says, I want to meet your needs so that your joy may be complete. And I love that in John, that actually Jesus cares about your joy. He wants you to be joyful and filled with joy in him and as we rely on him. All of these five chapters are at the same meal. And then John 18 verse 1 kind of clicks over. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays. He's arrested. He's crucified. He dies. He's put in the tomb. And then he's resurrected, something we're going to celebrate next weekend at Easter. I think it's going to be an amazing Sunday together. All of this happens at one meal. And I just think, like, again, if we go into the list thing, out of all the moments in human history I'd love to be present for and a part of, this meal would be top five for me. To be able to sit around that table with Jesus and the disciples, to see the way they interact, to hear the teaching. There's one moment where the disciples lean over to Jesus after he says he's going to be betrayed. And they say, who's it going to be? And Jesus tells them, he tells Peter and John, he tells them who it's going to be. These moments of intimacy, speaking to Jesus and asking questions like that, where you can connect with him and be like, be with him. If I could have a moment like that with Jesus, I would take that over nearly any other moment in the history of the world. And then while this is going on, this incredible meal, this incredible moment, this incredible experience, Jesus says something near the end of this dinner party, John 16 verse 7, which I think must have been kind of shocking to his disciples. Um, It's hard for me to grasp and engage with and even believe. You know, if it wasn't Jesus' words, I think it would be hard for me to believe this is true. But he says these words to his disciples who he's just spent three and a half years with, and he's about to leave. He tells them he's about to die, and he says, as you're all reading, I'm telling you the truth. When Jesus says that, it's like double emphasis. I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Other translations, the ESV says it's for your advantage. The NIV says for your good. The NLT says it is best for you. It's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. After three and a half years spent with Jesus, eating meals, traveling together, watching him teach, being able to ask questions afterwards, seeing the miracles, seeing the healing, seeing people raised from the dead, demons cast out, the power of God on display in Jesus' life and ministry. They've seen it all. They get to experience the meal, this incredible meal, the Last Supper, the most famous meal in human history. They, They get to experience this all together. And then Jesus tells them something, which I believe because it's his words, but it's hard to engage with. He says, it is for your benefit, advantage, good. It's best for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. Okay, Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Just before that, in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. The ESV says another helper. It's the Greek word parakletos, the the one who comes alongside and, and walks with us in life, a helper. I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. When Jesus tells his disciples about his death, which you can imagine for them is devastating. You know, not only is this their friend, but this is Jesus. 
They spent three and a half years with him. They're close. He tells them that he's going to die. But his comfort to them is that I will not leave you alone. I will send the Spirit to be with you, not just for a short period, but always and everywhere. And this is good news. Jesus is saying, this is good news that I leave and leave you with the Spirit. He calls him another counselor. The Greek word another there means another that is just like the first. So Jesus was the first counselor that they spent three and a half years with. And when he leaves, he's going to give them another counselor who's not different to him, someone who is just like him to be with them all the time, everywhere, always. That's who the Spirit is. That's what the Spirit does. I don't know if you've ever thought about the significance of the Spirit in that way, another counselor who is just like Jesus. But I want you to imagine right now, you know, you can pick whoever to your left or right, if they could just poof, disappear, and if Jesus would be sitting next to you. And then when you get in the car on your way home, Jesus is with you. He's with you for your next meal. He's with you tomorrow morning. He's with you at work. He's with you throughout this week. Everywhere you go, Jesus is with you. You can speak to him anytime, ask him anything, rely on him for help. Jesus is with you always, everywhere. That's what he's saying here. I will no longer be with you in the flesh, but the Spirit will be given to you to be inside you and to be with you wherever you go. He's one who is just like me. It's the same Spirit, another counselor just like me. And Jesus is saying, yes, it would be incredible to be at that dinner party. Yes, it would be incredible to know me in the flesh like this. But it is better that the invisible, unseen Spirit, who is my Spirit, is with you going forward than that I stay with you. And like as I wrestle with the truth of that, if I'm going to believe Jesus on everything else he says, everything else he teaches, everything else he calls us to, I want to believe him on this, that it is better that he is gone, that he is not with us in the flesh, that he's not in the room physically now, because he's given us the spirit in his place. I've got to believe him on that if I'm going to believe the other things that Jesus says. This is to our advantage that he goes, because we have the spirit with us always, everywhere. This is encouraging to the disciples and their uncertainty and anxiety and discouragement at the fact that Jesus is about to die. I will leave the Spirit with you. And although Jesus is leaving, the encouragement is you will not be alone. The Spirit will be inside of you and with you always. And that's still true for us today. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Bible, he's called a bunch of different things. He's called the comforter, the helper, the advocate. He's called the spirit of God, the spirit of life, the spirit of truth. He's called the counselor and our guide, which all show us different aspects of him or facets about him. You might have even heard him called the Holy Ghost, even though that sounds a little bit weird. Um, my, my wife was a preacher's kid, and she, tell, she grew up in the north of England. She had like a, a very strong English accent growing up. But she tells the story of going to her parents and saying, do you guys know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? <laughs> and her parents loved it. I think they teased her about it for years, you know. For those of you who didn't enjoy that joke, that's a real preacher joke, okay? That's a real preacher's kid joke going on. But the Holy Spirit is not weird. He's not spooky. He's not strange. He is the Spirit of Jesus, if you want to know what he's like, he is like Jesus. Acts 16 verse 7, Philippians 1 verse 19, they call him the Spirit of Jesus. So if you know what Jesus is like, that is what the Spirit is like. One story I found while preparing for this message was of Bible translators in a part of China. They were looking for the right words to use to translate Holy Spirit so that they could include that in the scriptures for the, for the local people. And they were just struggling with that for, for a direct translation that would make sense to people. And as they spoke about this and they did the research and they came to a conclusion about what to call the Spirit, they decided that the best phrase in that language was to call him the resident boss. So in one part of China, for a period of time, the Trinity was remembered as the Father, the Son, and the resident boss. The resident boss who lives inside of you and goes with you wherever you go. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Here in John chapter 14 and 16, as Jesus gives us these promises about the counselor he will give, he is saying that he is Jesus's emissary. An emissary is a person sent on a special mission in someone else's place. And that's what Jesus has done, giving us his spirit. His spirit is carrying on the work that Jesus began in us. 
Jesus had been physically present, but now the Spirit will be present with us invisibly, but in a true and real way, in the same way. While 1 John 2 verse 1 tells us, Jesus goes to be our advocate in heaven. So before Jesus was our advocate on earth, now the Spirit is our advocate here, while Jesus is our advocate in heaven, praying for us as the Spirit himself prays for us too. One of the things we see throughout the Bible is starting right at the beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve, that God has always desired a relationship with mankind, with his creation, right from the beginning with them. And he says over and over again throughout the scriptures, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the will of God, the desire of God, the plan of God, that he will create a people who will know him and who he will be with always and everywhere. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, um, centuries before Jesus would be born, Isaiah the prophet speaks and he says that one day Emmanuel will come, who is God with us. And then Jesus was born, God with us, God in the flesh, God come down. And he lived among us for a while and his disciples experienced that in reality. And now Jesus says as he prepares to go, as I leave, you will still have God with you internally, in your hearts, in your lives. He will be God with you wherever you go in a tangible way, always. So who is the Holy Spirit? Firstly, I want to say the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a warm and loving person. He's not a cold, vague, impersonal force. I think sometimes we think of the Father and the Son, but then the Spirit is like, for the Mandalorian fans, like the force, you know, He's out there like this magic, like this power, like this presence, but not like a person. But what we see in the Scriptures is that the Spirit is a person, just like Jesus and just like God the Father. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. He's got all the same attributes and characteristics as God. So when we think of God as holy and merciful and loving and just, the Spirit is all of those things too. He's merciful. He's kind. One of the things I've often preached uh, over the years is that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And we see the way Jesus spends time with people and what He prioritizes. We're like, oh, that's what God the Father is like. And it's the same with the Spirit. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, look at Jesus. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He is like Jesus, and He cares about the things that Jesus does. Now, I know for some of you in the room, as we go into the series, this might be a harder series for you because you've grown up in churches where speaking about the Spirit, there's been a skepticism, a cynicism, maybe a negativity, whether that's in tone as opposed to speech. But there's been some kind of subtle uncertainty about who the Spirit is or what He does. And I just want to say this. This is so obvious, but I think this might click for some of us today. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not different to Jesus and the Father. He's not on some other mission or has some other plan or some other purpose. He is the same as God, and He is about the same things as God. I feel like some of us have grown up in environments or heard certain things where it seems like the Holy Spirit is like this divine rebel without a cause. He's like wearing a leather jacket, you know, collar popped, and he's just like unpredictable. Like you don't know what the Spirit's going to do, you know. Some of you have got that crazy uncle at fam family gatherings, and it's like you go there and you're like, well, if he's there, we never know what's going to happen. And we've been taught that the Holy Spirit's a bit like that. Like, just don't get around him, you know, rather keep your distance. You don't know what he's going to do. And that's not what the Bible says. I, I grew up in these church environments where I heard things like, don't box the Spirit a whole lot of times. Like, actually, the Father and the Son are really chill. Like, <laughs> it's great to be with Jesus. It's great to be with God the Father. But don't try and box the Spirit. You never know what He's going to do. He's this maverick. He's this rogue. He could do anything. And that is not what the Bible shows us. The Bible tells us who the Spirit is. And the Bible tells us the kind of things that the Spirit does. The Bible is very clear about this. We don't have to live in fear of this crazy uncle. The Bible shows us the will and ways of the Spirit because they're the will and the ways of God. The Spirit is about the same stuff that God is about. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. Now, we're not going to get into a whole sermon about the Trinity today. It is a bit of a complicated topic to get into. But the Spirit is fully God, but He is also distinct. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are each distinct, but they are one God in three persons. Got it? 
Easy, clear, so fun. We can move on from that easily. What I'm trying to say is that the Spirit, the Father, and the Son, they are all God. They are all one. They care about the same things. They're committed to the same things. Their will is the same. And what the Spirit is wanting to do in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our world is the same as the plan of Jesus and the plan of God the Father. I want to say you can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can worship the Holy Spirit. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You can rely on the Holy Spirit in the same way that we do that with Jesus or God the Father because they are all God. What does the Holy Spirit do? I want to read you guys a a slightly long but I think beautiful quote. The first place in the New Testament that discusses the work of the Spirit at length is in the Gospel of John. We've been talking about that this morning. Jesus considered the teaching so important that he devoted much time to it on the night before he died. When we hear of spiritual filledness, we think of inner peace and power, and that may indeed be a result. Jesus, however, spoke of the Holy Spirit primarily as the Spirit of truth, who will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What does this mean? Make known translates a Greek word meaning a momentous announcement that rivets attention. The Holy Spirit's task then is to unfold the meaning of Jesus' person and work to believers in such a way that the glory of it, its infinite importance and beauty, is brought home to the mind and heart. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to take truths about Jesus and make them clear to our minds and real to our hearts, so real that they console and empower and change us at our very center. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit's ministry is to take truths about Jesus and make them clear to our minds and real to our hearts. When I was preparing for today, I looked in a biblical dictionary, nerdy but true, and it actually broke up the Holy Spirit into two different entries. The, the first was the person of the Holy Spirit, and the second was the work of the Holy Spirit. And it made sense, because in a sense, that's what we're doing today. We're talking about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. But at the same time, as much as we need to break those things apart, it's hard to break those things apart. It's hard to describe someone without giving you examples of things that they do. So if I tell you about my wife, Michelle, I can give you a list of characteristics. I can tell you, I think she's really wise. I think she's funny. I think she's really empathetic. And you won't really know about her. You'll, you'll know a list of words that describe her. But if I start to root each of those words in a story, guys, you know why I think Shell is funny? And I tell you a story about the last time she made me laugh. You know why I think she's wise? I tell you a time she came to me and said, hey, Grant, I think you should consider this. Or a time I went to her and asked her for perspective, and she gave me such helpful insight. When I describe her as empathetic, I talk about the way she sometimes dreams about people and wakes up in the morning and she's like, I wonder how that person is. Just, just had this dream about them last night. She texts them and just often there is something going on in their life. I could tell you some of those stories and you'd start to get a picture, not of just what she does, but of who she is. And it's similar with the Holy Spirit. So what does the Spirit do? Well, if you were to read through the whole Bible and underline and highlight every time the Spirit comes up, which I think would just take you a couple of hours, you know, so you could run that through this week. But you literally can do that. You, you could do that with some Bible software. You can do that with Version, the free Bible app. You could just search for Holy Spirit and look at some of the verses where that name comes up and just look at some of the things the Bible says about who the Spirit is and about what He does. But if you looked at that list of all the things the Spirit does, I think you'd be surprised. A few years ago, I I made a list from the New Testament of different things the Spirit does, and I found 53 different things, which I think would surprise some of us. Some of them are are similar. There's definitely overlap. Some of them are quite unique and interesting, like the Holy Spirit appoints elders in a church. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that work. It's really unique works of the Spirit. But here, one of the things we see is Jesus wants to highlight a few things to us in John 14 to 16. There's a lot that we'll see throughout the scriptures, but he wants to highlight a few. And it's interesting because probably for us in this room, some of us have got certain things which are core around the Spirit. You know, if you've grown up in the church, if you've had experience of the Spirit before, 
Because different churches, different networks, different denominations, they generally look at the spectrum of all the things that the Spirit does, and they often cut off like a sliver. And they say, this is our sliver. You know, we're comfortable with these things about the Spirit and His work. And that becomes core to their understanding or their big ideas about the Spirit. For me, um, I've been in church since I was 12. I know some of you were born in church. Maybe for some of you, you're newer to church or you're just visiting today. But I started going to church when I was 12 because of youth ministry. It's a gift. My friend Howard invited me. We went, we played duster hockey, which, do you guys know that? Oh, okay. We've got one person in the room. Kind of like paper rolled up and covered in tape, and then you hit a ball and try and score goals. We, we watched the Mighty Ducks, and we played duster hockey, and then I heard the gospel. Best night of my life, you know what I mean? Um, this was actually the lesson. That it wasn't a great situation, but half of the youth watched the Mighty Ducks. The other half watched Free Willy, and then we played this game. The Mighty Ducks people crushed the Free Willy people. They were still crying about the whale, and we took them to town. Uh, you can tell which movie I watched that night. Um, but I was invited into this church because of a youth group, because of my friend Howard, because of his family that took me along. And this was a Pentecostal church. I know you also mentioned growing up in the Pentecostal church. And there was a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues in this church. Now, I, I grew up going once or twice a year to an Anglican church. I went to a Baptist youth for a while. I don't really remember either of those churches talking about the Spirit. But at this Pentecostal church, we talked about the Spirit a lot. We talked about tongues a lot. In fact, our Sunday morning gathering like this, there was no sermon. There was prayer. There was some singing. There was some testimonies. And there was tongues and interpretation. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. But it was just a different thing, which shows some of the priority, the theology, and the emphasis of that church that I grew up in. When I turned 18, I moved to another church, a charismatic church. This wasn't a decision based on theology. This was a decision based on a girl. A girl moved me across. So there was more preaching, but also a huge emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. And if you've been in a charismatic church before, you'll probably notice that 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is, is a passage of Scripture or a chunk of Scripture that is often emphasized looking at the gifts and the works of the Spirit. So we spoke a lot about prophecy. We spoke a lot about healing. We spoke a lot about words of knowledge and wisdom. Those things that are spoken about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 were really emphasized in that church. And this was like my formative years of the faith, this emphasis in a Pentecostal and a charismatic church of the external, supernatural, powerful workings of the Spirit. Some of you, that's really foreign. For some of you, that's really familiar. You're like, yeah, that was my childhood. I grew up in that. I know that world well. But over the last... 10 or 15 years, it's been interesting just being exposed to different churches, denominations, books, teachings, and seeing that other people didn't grow up in that kind of world. Other people grew up in church backgrounds where the supernatural internal work of the Spirit was emphasized. Not these external demonstrations, but the way that the Spirit changes our hearts, convicts of sin, empowers to change, reveals identity, reveals that we are sons and daughters of God. And it's been interesting to me to see in different like networks and churches and denominations the different emphases that are placed on the person and work of the Spirit. And again, if you've been in church for a while, probably you find yourself a little bit more in one or the other camp. And as we go through the series, part of the invitation that we're, we're giving to all of us is what is the spectrum of what the Bible says about the person and work of the Spirit? And will we engage with all of it? Will we engage with all of what the scriptures teach us about the Spirit and His work? As I share this, I'm sure some of you are thinking about different experiences you've had, churches you might have visited or experienced, moments in your life. Some of you, I realize this is pretty new, pretty fresh, pretty different. But there seems to be this division between the internal and external emphasis on what the Spirit does. And some of us might be comfortable in one space a little bit more than the other. But in John 13 to 17, Jesus emphasizes four things, four things about who the Spirit is and what He does. These are key things that He wants them to know about the Spirit before He goes to the cross and before He dies. Firstly, in John 14 verse 17, He calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. And He says that the Spirit reminds us, or the Spirit will remind us of the things Jesus has said and will teach us what Jesus has already taught or what is written in the Word. 
John 16, verse 13, he says, the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit is one who teaches, who leads, who guides, who directs towards the truths that Jesus has already spoken. I want to say, I think this is a really important piece to say, that what the Spirit says will never contradict what the Word of God says. It will always be in alignment because the Spirit is teaching the same teachings that Jesus has already spoken. Now, because of the pizza you ate last night, <laughs> or because of desires in your own heart, or maybe even the influence of other spirits, there might be things that come to our minds which are not in line with God's Word. But the Spirit of God will always speak what is revealed already in the Scriptures to us. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. In John 14, verse 26 to 27, it says the Spirit testifies about Jesus. In John 16, verse 14, it says that the Spirit glorifies Jesus. And I think there's something amazing here that we need to notice. If the Spirit is at work in a place, then Jesus will be spoken about a lot. If the Spirit is at work in a church, if the Spirit is at work in someone's heart, they're probably going to testify a lot about who Jesus is and what He does, and they will bring glory to Jesus because the Spirit is someone who points away from Himself to Jesus all of the time. If you're in a church or if you're in an environment where the Spirit is being spoken about a lot and Jesus is not being spoken about much, that's where kind of the question marks and the warning signs should be going on. The Spirit, if He is at work in speaking, is pointing us to Jesus and glorifying Him. And then in John 16, verse 8, it says that the Spirit convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit convicts us. Now, there's a huge difference between condemning and convicting. Some of us have experienced condemnation in church before. I've experienced that. Condemnation is where we feel guilt or shame over who we are or what we've done. When you feel condemned, you don't feel inspired to change. When you feel condemned, you feel guilty and you feel like you need to work harder and try more to do the right thing because you're not doing it. When you feel condemned, you feel a finger pointing at you and telling you you're not good enough and you need to try harder. But when we feel the conviction of the Spirit, He's not ignoring our sin. He's not ignoring what needs to change or what is true, but the Spirit of God is inspiring us in a grace-filled way to change. The Spirit is taking us by the hand and lifting us up. The Spirit is guiding us and helping us and going along with us towards what is true and right and beautiful and good. The Spirit is with us, convicting, not condemning. This morning, maybe you will feel the Spirit condemning. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's not the Spirit. That's me or someone else. You might feel the Spirit's conviction this morning in some way, working in your heart, calling you out of something, calling you into something, speaking about change He wants to bring in your life, teaching you something that you might not believe is true, but in a grace-filled, empowering way, helping you to move towards it. It's one of the things the Spirit does. In Acts 1 verse 1, we read this. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is one of those verses you're just like, cool, this is like the intro verse, like let's move on. But the writer of this is Luke. He, he wasn't one of the apostles, but he traveled a lot with Paul. And he writes two books, the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And he writes them for this benefactor he's got, Theophilus. And he goes like a journalist and he investigates. He asks the who, what, when, where, why, and how questions to find out all the information to give an accurate account of the life of Jesus. That's the Gospel of Luke. And then he writes about what happened next after Jesus ascended to heaven, about what the Spirit did through the church. And here he speaks and says, I wrote the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach, implying that in the second book, it's what Jesus is continuing to do and teach through His church and by His Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, who is reminding us and teaching the teachings of Jesus, who is pointing us to Jesus and glorifying and testifying about Jesus and helping the church to carry on the work of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. What does this mean for us? Well, I want to say firstly that the teaching of John 14 and 16, that whole letter and everything we've looked at today is for us today. 
The Spirit is at work today. The Spirit is continuing His work today. And we're invited, to use the language of Galatians 5, to life in the Spirit. The Spirit is in us, and the Spirit is calling us to walk with us. The Spirit is God with us, internally, invisibly, helping and comforting God with us wherever we go, all of the time. Some scriptures that have encouraged me, in 2 Corinthians 13, 13, it invites us to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5 and Romans 8, it calls us to walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 18, it calls us to be led by the Spirit. This is a new kind of life that we're being invited into, a new kind of life with God by His Spirit. Jesus has not left us alone as orphans. He has given us His Spirit that we might have relationship with God always, that we might live in the presence of God always, whether we feel it or see it or not. The Spirit is with us now, and the Spirit is with us tomorrow at work. And the Spirit is with us as we drive our cars or bikes. The Spirit is with us wherever we go and whatever we do to help us continue the work of Jesus in San Diego today. And after that long dinner party in John 13 to 17, as I said, John 18 verse 1 clicks over. Jesus goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's tried. He's crucified. He's put in the tomb and he rises from the dead. There's this amazing moment in John 20, the first day of the week. It's a Sunday. The disciples are together, and Jesus appears to them in the room. The only one who's missing is Thomas, you know, the doubting Thomas who struggles to believe that this happens. But in John 20, verse 21 to 22, after his resurrection, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Spirit. Some of us are like, that's so gross. <laughs> his breath after his death and all of that. There's this amazing continuation going on through Scripture here. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God has made the world and everything that exists, and He makes man by taking dirt and breathing His Spirit into Adam, and the first living man is created through the breath, the Spirit of God. In John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on His disciples and they are born again. And they start new life in the Spirit with God. And then in Acts 1 and 2, as Jesus calls them to wait for the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit is poured out. God breathes on and gives birth to the church that will continue the work of Jesus in the world. And there's this beautiful promise. If you've been around the church for a while, this is a familiar verse. Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on certain people for a period of time. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus promises us that the Spirit will be upon His people always, everywhere. And that's the promise for us today. The invitation is to receive and live in the truth that the Spirit is God with us, the resident boss living inside of us everywhere we go, God with us, not leaving us alone, but with us, present to continue the work He's wanting to do. And we're going to pray in just a moment for the Spirit's work in us, but the invitation is to respond, restored, to believe that this is true, and to explore what life in the Spirit looks like, and to desire what Jesus is offering us, and to begin to live in this more and more and more. Andy, do you want to pop up? Um, Mario, you want to come up to get worship started, music worship? Um, real quick, would you all stand for a second? Um, you can get the lights. Uh, and so one of the things Grant highlighted as he went through what the Spirit does, he talks about the Spirit convicts, the Spirit doesn't condemn. And uh, a little, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> like some Disneyland music, uh, perhaps the Caribbean vibe. But, um, but uh, one of one of the things, like like a Bluetooth uh, technology, you know, it's a gift and a curse. 
But one of the things Grant talks about is just how um, the Spirit convicts, he doesn't condemn. And I think that's really true. And I think, I don't know if you guys noticed, he even had the kind of hand signals. But, um, but man, conviction says, like, you suck, you're the worst, you're gross, you're sinful, you're wicked, you'll never change. Do more, be better, maybe then you'll be loved. Conviction is when the Spirit comes around and extends his hand. And I think a lot of us know what it's like to find ourselves on the ground again spiritually, like we fell again. Whatever it is, for you, if it's pride or lust or greed or bitterness, self-reliance, selfishness, whatever it is, uh, anger, whatever it is for you where you're like, man, I am here again. It's like classic me. I've fallen in the way. I've stumbled again. And the Spirit doesn't say, like, get up and get it together. The Spirit says, let's go. Let's go. Girl, let's go. Let's get off the ground. I know you're scared and you're used to being on the ground, but, like, let's get up and go walk into a new life. And I'm going to help you. It's not get yourself together. It's will you let me help you? And, again, the Spirit's the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus says at the, the pool, of Bethesda, there's a, a man who's been crippled since, uh, since he was very young, and he says, do you want to get well? Because if he does, Jesus wants him to be well. He goes, will you partner with me? Will you take my hands? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, it says, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And in Greek, be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing imperative, meaning continue to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-off thing that happens. It's a command to continue to do. And one of the things that I know, so again, we have a choice in this. We have to ask the Spirit. We have to submit to the Spirit. We have to open ourselves up to the Spirit. We have to take the Spirit by the hand. And I just felt this morning, one of the things that I know about being filled with the Spirit, which no one likes to talk about, is um, the Spirit fills broken people that admit they're broken. Does that make sense? Like, the Spirit comes to help us when we admit we need help. When you're done playing games, when you're done trying to do it yourself, when you're done with the halfway measures, and you're like, I, I, I can't figure it out, I need you. Does that make sense? So what I want to do is um, just take a second before we go to communion. I want to ask the Spirit to do two things. I want to lead us through a time of praying to, to be filled with the Spirit in a fresh way. That's saying, hey, I want you to influence me in a fresh way. I want you to help me in a fresh way. Does that make sense? And I want to say this, by the way, and I've mentioned conviction. For many of you guys, it is sin. But for some of you guys, it's, it's pain. It's wounding. It's, it's you need wisdom. Like you're scared and you don't know what to do. And that might be because of your sin. That might be because of someone else's sin. It might be a financial issue, a relational issue, a, a health issue. And you don't know what to do and you need the Spirit's help. We don't do a lot of this as a culture. But I want to take a moment. Would you guys just close your eyes? And if you're here and you're like, if I'm honest, like I'm aware, like I need the Spirit's help today, would you just raise your hand? Like, please don't be shy. Like, I need the Spirit's help. And I just want to pray for you in this moment. And I want to encourage you to pray. Matter of fact, I would encourage you before I pray in your own way to say, to, to tell the Holy Spirit, I need you. Will you fill me afresh? So in your own heart, just take a second and say, I don't know what to do with this and admit it to him. Will you help me? Will you fill me? Will you give me what I need to do, what you're calling me to do? Let's do this and take a second. want to say over you before I pray. The Spirit is good. Like, He's good. He's like Jesus. And if it's sin, He wants to help. If it's pain, He wants to comfort. Yesterday when 
Maria went to the airport, Olivia, my daughter, she was just so sad. She was crying. Instinctively as a dad, I just held her. I said, it's okay to be sad. It's normal to be sad. It's even good to be sad sometimes because it means that you love something, you care about something. And slowly she allowed herself to receive care and blessing and she got closer and closer to me. She ended up sitting on my lap. She let me hold her and eventually she quit <laughs> pretending she was kind of okay and she just let herself cry. Some of you have been hurt by other people or you've been taught toxic things about God and you think he's always mad and he's saying, hey, I want to comfort you. So this morning, I want to encourage you. You can be there before him. He's a better comforter than me. Jesus actually says, if you who are wicked fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more do I know how to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so just ask him. Ask the Spirit to reveal himself in you, to fill you in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, I do ask, ask that people would step into things they never have before because of fear, because of shame, because of guilt, because they just didn't think they could go there again. They want to like shut that door off, that part of their life. They want to shut the door. They want to lock it. But that door is haunting them. Spirit, would you empower us to do what we cannot do it on our own, to walk back in that room and look at the thing we're afraid of right in the eye, knowing we got a big Holy Spirit with us, and we don't need to be scared. The Spirit of Jesus is with us. We don't need to be scared. Lord, would you set us free to admit where we need help? And Lord, would you fill us and help us? Please fill the men and women in this church in beautiful ways remarkable ways. When people confess things this week they've never confessed before, not for shame's sake, but for freedom's sake, walking in the light, being loved when they never thought they could be loved, being loved at their worst. Would you do that? Would you start to do things in people's lives this week? Would this not just be a cognitive series on the Spirit, but would we take the information we're receiving and would we go somewhere with it? Would we trust you? Not just learn about you, but trust you. Holy Spirit, please, please, please fill us in Jesus' name. And right now we're going to go into communion, which is for men and women who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. You believe that Jesus came and taught the way of life. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He rose again in victory, and then he sent his spirit. His body was broken on the cross. His blood was shed on the cross because we needed it like we had need. We needed saving. We needed rescue. The Greek word for, for saving is, is the word sozo, and part of it just means rescue or healing. And we needed that. Since we're committed against us, that we needed cleansing. We felt dirty, we needed cleansing. Or we were wounded and we needed healing. Or we were guilty and we needed forgiveness. But either way, that's what communion is about, celebrating that. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love to take that with you. But as you take it, can I challenge you as we, we break off, you can just jump in with, there'll be groups of people praying. Just jump in with them. There isn't like a special protocol. But whoever prays for communion, I want to challenge you to even ask the spirits, what Grant talked about, to make what Jesus did feel real. To make the truth concerning Jesus true to you again. Would he, would he make your forgiveness fresh? Jesus' love fresh. His care for you fresh in the midst of whatever you have going on. So ask the spirit to help you experience Jesus' forgiveness as you celebrate the cross together. You know, when we felt God kind of give us the theme of the Holy Spirit in the household this year, like I was calling us into those two things, I think generally when I think of the Spirit, I do think primarily about the external steps. Like, man, we're going to have some wild gatherings. People are going to be Spirit's going to be doing stuff. And I think that stuff will still happen. I think there's, there'll be prophecies. And there's going to be healings. I think stuff's going to happen. But I do feel like this series is, there's a book uh, by a guy named Robert Mulholland. It's called Invitation to a Journey. And it's a spiritual formation book. And it's kind of nerdy. You don't need to read it. You can read it if you want to. But, but I feel like that's what this series is. It's the Spirit holding his hand out saying, do you want to actually be like Jesus? 
And do you want to actually do the things Jesus did? This, both the supernatural things he did, but also the love that he had, the way that he showed up to his life and to his relationships with God and with people and with himself. And like, do you want to actually do that? And family, I'm excited about that journey. It's not an easy journey, but again, we know the one who's with us and he really is good. Kind of the C.S. Lewis thing, like he's not safe, but he's good. He'll cut you open to heal you. He's a, he's a great physician, a great surgeon. But man, it feels good to get healed. Feels good to get free. Feels good to become the people God created us to be before we were marred by life in a fallen world. And so I just want to encourage you again, the spirit only fills broken people. I've heard it said before, uh, if you have something in your hand, he's not going to put something else in your hand that oftentimes we cling to our idols or the thing that we want. It has to be our way. It's tough. To, you can't walk in the spirit and do your own thing. Does that make sense? It's almost like um, you're in a dance class and you're like, you're watching the dance instructor and you want to do your own thing and do what they're doing at the same time. You can't. Unless it's magic, like your control, whatever. Like you have to choose to, and that's what the spirit taking, the, the spirit filling you is not like magic. It's you saying, I want to follow you. So, so the key to like spiritual growth, it's, it's really simple, guys. It's like when you're convicted of sin, you repent and you talk to people. When he calls you, to, when he, you feel prompted to do something, even if you're a little nervous about it, you do it and you see what he does. Does that make sense? And as you do that, you start to become like Jesus. A lot of times we're like, I want to cling to everything, my way, my terms, my thing, and so become like Jesus. So we want help on our terms, but with the, with the spirit, it's like, no, 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 I need you to, I, you, got, you have good dance moves, like you're good, like you're fresh out there, you're good. But if you want to learn this, you got to do it my way. Does that make sense? Like, follow me. And so I just want to encourage you to open your hands out, to empty them, to go, I'm going to take expectation off of what I'm asking, demanding the Spirit, do my way, and go, what do you want to do your way, your will, your timing? Does that make sense? And I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to dance in the Spirit. I'm going to live the life He's called me to lead. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll roll. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the invitation to a journey. Thank you that you're the, the, the good, not just the good physician, the great physician, you're the great choreographer, that you show us the steps of how to become like Jesus. And even when we try to freestyle and do our own thing, and it's just not great, you've got us. And so, Lord, I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us afresh, that you would invite us in, You'd invite us into the journey, and then you would guide us on the journey, and that we would trust you. Our job is to trust you as you guide us, not to guide ourselves, but to trust you as you guide us. And wherever you take us, um, we'd go, and then as we get there, we realize it's good. And so we love you, Jesus. Um, thank you for sending the Spirit. And says, then we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, I am just really excited about this journey. I think we're going to go, I think some of us are going to go places we've never been before, and I'm really excited about it. So, Grant, thank you for today. I'll see you guys next week for Easter. Uh, can't encourage you enough to invite a friend out. I think it's going to be a phenomenal day, honestly. So, love you guys. See you next week.